everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist. White supremacist extreme. Yes, you know it, I know it. The squirrels living in my attic know it. Everything is racist. Today's racist journey takes us across the Atlantic to Paris, France, where a protest erupted in front of a Dior fashion boutique. What were they protesting? This. It's a, it's a black Dior skirt. Now, can you spot the cultural appropriation? <laughs> no, that's because you're a racist, like everything and everyone else. This particular skirt, which costs damn near four grand, by the way, just a black skirt, is drawing comparisons to a horse face skirt, which is apparently a historic type style of Chinese clothing, who knew? Now listen, designing a high fashion skirt that resembles an ancient Chinese style is no joke. It's easy to understand how hurt and offended someone could be, especially when you consider just how similar the skirts are. I mean, take a look, if you're, if you're watching on on TV, you can see it if you're listening on podcast. They look, they don't look that similar. They don't look at all like each other. They look absolutely nothing alike besides the fact that they're both, I guess, flared tubes of fabric that contain human legs. That's about it as far as the skirt thing goes. I mean, I guess I could see some similar pleats in there, but does that mean that we have to go back and lose every pair of male slacks from 1996? Yes, we actually should do that, but that's a totally different story. Honestly, the only cultural appropriation I see here is that of Vin Diesel from the 2003 European Music Awards. If you've never seen that picture, go Google it right now. Uh, bold choice, Vin. Nothing says family like leather cross-dressing. But it's never cool to mock someone's culture, except when I do it. And that's what's important to remember. What happened to the days when we were a country that embraced other cultures? folded it into our own, you know, some sort of giant, I don't know the term, melting pot? In some ways, I guess we're still there. The official dip of the NFL was freaking hummus for a while. The number one condiment in all of America is salsa. I know culture is not all about food and fashion, but this is how human beings accept others. We find stuff that others have. We say we like that stuff. It helps us understand them and what their life experience is. We melt in the pot together. And yes, Jill, we can integrate other cultures into our own without referring to people as breakfast tacos. It's difficult, but it's possible. The sharing of culture should not be controversial, especially when it comes to skirts that you can find at any hot topic for 20 bucks. It's probably a good sign that America is such an amazing country. We have to make up stupid crap like this to be upset about. But unfortunately for us, that pendulum swings both ways. And for now, at least, we just have to accept that everything is racist. Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist. White supremacist extreme. Stu does America. It's okay, just come to me. I'm just looking for the right mug to do this segment today. I mean, every other mug but the mug. I want, oh gosh, now the whole thing's, I mean, this is just, this is not, this is not how you, there it is. This is not how you prepare for a show. I mean, got all these mugs back here. 
and I need this one, 6-24-22. Do you know what that date is? Other than hearing me pitch my merchandise to you all the time, do you know what 6-24-22 is? Well, you can get the mug at stewdoesmerch.com. Use the uh, code stew 10 you get 10% off. Uh, I want to tell you about that date and the newest development on this one, but I'm going to start with telling you to go to subscribe to blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. You'll save 10 bucks off your subscription to Blaze TV. John Seidel, former Blaze alum, returns to Mercury Studios to tell us how to relax a little bit for a minute. A brave Hollywood actress is taking a controversial stance, and it's brave. It's brave. We'll get into that as well. But we start by doing Alito's Revenge. Yes, it was leaked a little early, but 6-24-22 was the date we all heard about Alito's Revenge. Alito's Revenge, I mean, I don't know if he would phrase it this way, but I will say there was this thing where 65 million children were not born when they should have been, and you know, that's something maybe worth taking a little legal revenge on. And, of course, Samuel Alito, who isn't a guy you see speak all that often. He's not, he's not out there. He, never, he doesn't do lots of shows. He's, he does some speeches in academic settings, and that's really about it. He did one of those, the first one he's done uh, since 6-24-22. And it's being, of course, talked about in controversial terms. Alito decries hostility to religion in first public remarks since abortion decision. Now, this is kind of the, the, the segment of the speech that's getting the most attention, and I have to admit, it's just fun. So I'm gonna give that to you first. Over the last few weeks since I had the honor this term of writing, I think the only Supreme Court decision in the history of that institution that has been lambasted by a whole string of foreign leaders <laughs> who felt perfectly fine commenting on American law. One of these was uh, former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, but he paid the price. <laughs> but others are still, yeah, are still in office, President Macron and uh, Prime Minister uh, Trudeau, I believe, are too. But what really wounded me, what really wounded me, was when the Duke of Sussex addressed the United Nations and seemed to compare the decision whose name may not be spoken with the Russian attack on Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, when the Duke of Sussex is upset with you, I, I, how do you go on? with your career. It's been a kind of an interesting journey since 6-24-22 to see the reaction. And I think we've seen some stuff that we've never seen before. We really haven't seen in the past uh, foreign leaders all gang up on uh, the American Supreme Court. I mean, we certainly don't do that to our allies. I mean, we might criticize, you know, an Iranian court for executing, uh, you know, homosexuals uh, for no reason. We've done things like that. We do things like the Russian, hey, can you let go of our WNBA players, Russia? I mean, we've done stuff like that. But generally speaking, when we're talking about our allies, we don't criticize the ins and outs of, of their laws all that often. It's kind of a rare thing. I mean, it's just something you don't normally see. And what's, I think we've seen a lot of that since this decision came down, written by Samuel Alito. I've seen a lot of things in the media that I haven't seen before. I've seen some... And this is a big statement, but some of the dumbest takes I've ever seen in my entire life. Let me give you one of them, for example. 538 is a site I, I talk about. I like 538, generally speaking, as a site. They wrote this story. 
how the fight to ban abortion is rooted in the great replacement theory. Now, if you don't know what the great replacement theory is, I don't understand how, if you're a conservative, it's apparently the only thing that guides you to any decisions. But the great replacement theory is basically this white supremacist theory that I've never actually met anyone who believes it. But in theory, what the idea is, is we're all worried about how, I guess, Jews uh, Jews will not replace us. Remember that from Charlottesville? It's that. It's that other minorities are going to come over and replace white people, which is kind of hilarious because at the beginning of white supremacy, the pitch from white supremacists was that whites were superior over other races. And now the pitch from white supremacists is, oh no, all those other races are going to beat us out for jobs. It's kind of a weird... Where did that come from? Even our white supremacists are wusses these days. But let's go a little bit beyond beyond that. How does a policy that would result in tens of millions of minority children being born be based in great replacement theory? How on earth could letting, allowing, encouraging millions of black children, of Hispanic children, of Asian children, and some white children as well, how could, we po- how could that possibly be? We know that, of course, especially African-American children are targeted by abortion at ridiculously disproportionate rates to the extent that more black babies are aborted in New York City than are born. Wanting to stop that from occurring is not a white supremacist philosophy. And of course, if maybe you dug into their writings at all, you'd learn that the people pitching the white, uh, the great replacement theory, largely people on the crazy alt-right, are for abortion. They've been writing about this forever. Do you know why they're for abortion? Because they like the fact that more black babies are aborted than born. They want that ratio to go even further. I don't. I want minority children to be born as much as I want white children to be born. And that's the philosophy of everybody I've ever known that supports a pro-life stance, including the churches, maybe centrally the churches, where it's very clear throughout religious texts that everybody's God's children. They don't make every, there's no racial lines in that world, okay? And the fact that they are pitching it this way, I mean, you could really pitch it the opposite way. What was the headline again? How the fight, instead of the how the fight to ban abortion is rooted in great replacement theory, it should be how the fight for abortion is rooted in the great replacement theory. We all know Margaret Sanger, And all of her quotes about all sorts of racial things. We've done entire shows going through her quotes from the beginning uh, and the founding of not only uh, Planned Parenthood, but all of her belief in eugenics. And that entire progressive era was was fell in love with eugenics and was all based on this type of nonsense. So that has nothing to do with what conservatives want with abortion. But again, at this point, they're just throwing buzz term, you know, buzzwords into a blender and then spitting them out on pages to get clicks. The pro-life movement has nothing to do, nothing to do with great replacement theory. And if anything, when you find a conservative who is, uh, you know, you'd expect maybe to, these, these conservative people, they always call the alt-right an alternative version of the right, when in, in, in reality it is an alternative to the right, 
But when you find people who are like, hey, you know what? We really do need abortion because we want more uh, minority children to not be born. That's the signal of abortion, when pe- or, or, of racism. That's kind of a clear sign of maybe having a problem with the great replacement theory. When you want all of those children to be born, not really a good argument that it goes back to great replacement theory. Of course, the abortion coverage has been going on and going, going awry ever since all of this happened on 6-24-22. I've been fascinated at the way this has been covered in the media. Uh, it's these terrible stories about all the hardship that goes on from women who just want to end the lives of their, of their child. Uh, interstate abortion travel is already straining parts of the system. Oh no, I hope the abortion system isn't strained. That would be terrible if it were to be strained. They had miscarriages and new abortion laws obstructed treatment. How exactly did it obstruct treatment? Explain that. They try to explain it in the article, but I can tell you they do a very poor job because no law that is banning abortion that is in place currently in the United States bans any of the procedures you would need to remove a fetus uh, if you had a miscarriage. That is just constant BS from the left right now. Uh, Sarah Gonzalez has been fighting with somebody on Twitter uh, (laughs) who claimed this, got on CNN, unquestioned, never had to back up her story, never had to name the doctor. She claimed one of her doctors said, I don't know with this new abortion law. I think you just have to hold on to that uh, miscarried fetus in your body for the next couple of weeks. There is. And if you are in this situation, you should be aware of this. If your doctor tells you that you have a terrible doctor a doctor that is not aware of the law or the procedures regarding a central part of his profession. You should go to a different doctor very, very quickly. Uh, Then we have teen body shamed by Matt Gates gets the last laugh by raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for abortion funds. Isn't it such a funny issue that thousands of kids won't be born? (laughs) Last laugh. We got you, Matt Gates. (laughs) Isn't that great coverage as well? The next abortion fight, mailing pills. This is one of a long series of articles you may have seen since 6-24-22. A sort of how-to, an explainer on how to get your abortion if, for example, the law gets in your way. You have a Dutch doctor and the internet are making sure Americans have access to abortion pills. This lady you're seeing right here, they are trying to make her into a mega celebrity. Tons and tons and tons of people are writing about her and her organization that is basically breaking U.S. law by sending abortion pills into areas where they are not legal. And that's something we now encourage. Okay, women in states that ban abortion will still be able to get abortion pills online from overseas. Okay, that's just going around the law. I I don't that's we're we're just going to show people how to do that. Got it. Americans scramble for abortions in states that have banned it. Now new avenues are emerging, but logistical hassles are everywhere. I wouldn't want to see any hassle. What if someone who wants to end the life of their child were to be hassled in the process? How 
could we stand for such a thing in this great country of ours? Surge in U.S. demand for Dutch abortion pills after Roe versus Wade decision. Once again, highlighting this organization that's going to send you those free pills over and over and over again. DIY Collective embeds abortion pill onto their business cards and then distributes them at a hacker conference. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, if that's not the prototypical uh, vice article, I don't know what it is. But once again, let's just keep praising the people who are going around these laws. I mean, all of this is basically a how to on how to avoid the law and get your abortion, even if it's against the law. And they all kind of hinted around it. You notice the New York Times and and all these other publications kind of provided that service, but didn't actually say that's what they were doing. Rolling Stone's just like, we're just going to say it. How to order abortion online. It's the name of their article. So there you go. It's interesting. I don't remember the slew of articles that said, hey, did did a, did your state uh, put too many restrictions on your Second Amendment rights? Well, here's how to get a, a gun from Mexico across the border. I, I missed all those how to tutorials. Uh, that I guess should have been in the media. Maybe they're coming soon. I can't wait to see them. It really is fascinating to see what has happened. These are uh, media organizations overtly telling United States citizens how to break the law, encouraging them to break the law, telling them step by step what websites to go to, what doctors to see, how to go to India to get your pills sent to you. All of these things are available all over the place from mainstream reporters who want to just counsel you because they happen to disagree with the law. Hmm. I mean, have you ever seen, has the NRA ever put out a a how-to? Even the NRA on how to get a gun if your state uh, does not allow them? No. Uh, Have you ever seen that from any right-wing publications? Hey, make sure you're able to get your 3D printed gun. That, we've even talked about that before uh, with the guy who who was actually doing it. There was no how-to guide. I mean, covering it is one thing. To actually teach people how to break the law, which, by the way, the 3D printed gun, not really against the law, but that's a whole different story. Ghost guns, guys, be afraid of ghost guns. Look, the truth is that Samuel Alito making fun of Boris Johnson is kind of satisfying and kind of funny. Complaining about media coverage is somewhat cathartic because it's never going to change and we can complain about it every day, which we do. And I don't know that it will ever change. All we can do is push back with with places like The Blaze to try to do something about it. But all of this stuff might be fun, it might be cathartic, but it doesn't give you any more perspective. And I've seen the clip that we played earlier from Alito's speech all over the place. But it doesn't give you any additional perspective. It's just kind of funny. It's kind of an in-your-face moment. I want to give you a little bit of an extended excerpt from that same speech. This is one that is not getting any media coverage. Uh, not important, apparently, uh, to anyone. But I want to give this to you. Because when you think about our country and all the things that we complain about and all the things that have gone wrong and all the things that we fight for, sometimes you get lost in that. Sometimes you think, well, maybe it's not even all that important. It just seems like this political game. Let me give you this from Samuel Alito. This is the end of his speech. During a visit, I had a conversation with a Beijing University student that I will never forget. I was engaging in small talk with this young woman, and she told me that she had an older brother, and I passed over this and didn't make much of it. And she stopped me, and she said, I don't think you understand the importance of what I just told you. I have an older brother. 
She had been born during a time when the People's Republic was strictly enforcing its one-child policy. Her mother was a physician. Her mother arranged for her to be born outside of a hospital, so there would be no record of her birth. And after she was born, her parents paid a succession, paid a succession of childless couples to raise her in their home and pretend that she was their daughter. Her real parents had only intermittent contact with her all during that time, up to the point where she scored very high on an exam and was admitted to Beijing University. She told me something very important. She said that she had grown up in a town in China where, for historic reasons, there were a number of churches, most prominently the Catholic Church. The Cultural Revolution did its best to destroy religion, but it was not successful. It was not able to extinguish the religious impulse. Our hearts are restless until we rest in God, and therefore the champions of religious liberty who go out as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves can expect to find hearts that are open to their message. That's the real path to solving the issue of life. Laws are great. Supreme Court rulings are great. But going out and trying to connect with people to change their hearts, to change their minds, to change them from seeing this practice as, you know, from where they see it now as this, we gotta have, we gotta have abortion on every corner. We gotta shout our abortion to change someone from that to seeing abortion for the horror show that it really is. And I believe will eventually be seen as in this country as well as around the world to go and find people and talk to them and change their hearts. That's the real battle. And finally, since Samuel Alito provided that ruling in the Supreme Court, we now have an opportunity to fight it. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain, mood issues, poor mental health, lower productivity? How about that uh, sleeping less than six to seven hours a night, which occasionally happens to me. That's a link to a reduced white blood cell count. I have no white blood cells anymore. They're all gone. Uh, those things that protect our bodies against illness, kind of important. Uh, they fight viruses, they fight bacteria, they fight more. Your sleep is incredibly important and better sleep starts tonight. That's why there is Beam Dream. It's the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today, you can get a special discount for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder, which is their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. Uh, it's got like a kind of a cinnamon vibe to it, too. Pretty tasty. It uh, has natural sleep-promoting uh, premium ingredients that are triple lab tested, contain no THC, and will leave you waking up refreshed. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. If you don't love it, uh, you get your money back, guaranteed, for a limited time, 35% off when you go to shopbeam.com slash stew. Use the code stew at checkout. That's shopbeam.com slash stew. Use the code stew for up to 35% off. It's shopbeam.com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome Blaze alumni, John Seidel, to the program. He's the founder and president of the Veritas Creative and author of the best-selling book, Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. Certainly an important topic for today. Be sure to grab a copy. John, how's it going, man? Hey, it is, it is so, this is like a blast from the past, yeah. right? In, 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 in good ways. Yeah. I just love coming here and being and talking to you and seeing the studio again. It's, it's, 
it's cool. Yeah, for those who don't know, John was with the, theblaze.com for a very long time yeah. and, and, and was with us, gone on to do some great things, including writing a best-selling book, which has got to be, I want to get into that experience. It's got to yeah. be pretty interesting. Let me start, though, with the culture. You're a parent. you got a couple uh. of kids. They're young. Uh, I do as well, a little bit older than yours, but uh, in the general vicinity, uh, uh, the same age. And it, navigating culture now, I feel like, is much, much more difficult mm -hmm. than when our parents were trying to do it. Mm -hmm. Our parents would direct us away from the bad shows that came on after 9 or 10 o'clock at night. They'd make sure we avoided the R-rated movies. Sure. that You can't do that. You, you can't ha be hands-off like that with your kids these days. No, and I think, you know, I, I knew, so my oldest is seven, mm -hmm. right? I, I, I knew seven years ago when we brought her into this world, I think I was a little scared, right? Like, mm -hmm. just you start seeing the way that culture starts turning. Seven years later, I'm just like, <laughs> I, am, I am like deathly afraid, yeah. right? And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, for, for example, we were watching, you know, my kids love dinosaurs, right? And so mm -hmm. we're watching, um, there's a Jurassic Park cartoon for kids, and there's a new season that just came out. I mean, they've watched all the other seasons probably 17 times, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there on my computer at, uh, just kind of doing some work as my daughter is watching. And I kind of look up and now, now all of a sudden there's like this lesbian kiss and a lesbian relationship. And like, and, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm glad I was kind of halfway at paying attention, yeah. but it's like, it's, that's the culture now that says, I mean, even just like you could take away the lesbian aspect of it. Like, why for my seven-year-old do I have to have any sort of like romantic kid relationship? Yeah, you know, there's no reason to force and, that stuff. And in then there. you, yeah, then you throw that on, and man, I, I'm just, I'm scared. Like, I, I'm scared. It's really difficult too. I, I don't know if you found the same thing, and uh, but I have, which is. You don't want to be the parent that, you know, you're, you don't want to be from the village, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, where yeah. you're like, you know, taking right. kids away from all technology. They can never see any entertainment. But, like, they do not make it easy for you to manage what you're trying to do for kids. I mean, we found VidAngel, which is really good mm -hmm. for certain shows, and they do, a, they do a, great, a great way of breaking all that stuff down. But, like, to try to get, uh, you know, my kids to watch a safe version of YouTube, right, is, yes. like, basically impossible to, to get them to, be, you know, to have just these safe, basic filters on. They don't work very well. It's very difficult to manage. You try to set up these uh, third-party systems. It's almost impossible. I mean, they make you have to be an IT guy to understand this stuff. And, and that's why I can appreciate now, like, y y you know, some of these people like Dude Perfect. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which are um, like you can trust. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think creators in this era, if you become um, someone that parents can trust, I think you're going to go a yeah. long way. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, and I, we've talked about this before, but I, I was watching a Dude Perfect video <laughs> with my kids. They love love Dude Perfect. Yeah. We're actually going to see them on Sunday. Uh, they are at the AAC, yes. which is incredible. This YouTube guy, group of five friends from uh, college, who have turned this trick, you know, an initial trick shot video into this media empire. They're you know selling out American Airlines Center where the yeah. Dallas Mavericks play this weekend, and we're gonna go. We're taking the kids. And so I'm watching this at one point. I'm watching one of their videos, and all of a sudden I'm like, Is that? Is that John Seidel in the background there? Like, yeah. first of all, you got to explain how you were on this video. Yeah. But, but you're so right about their what they've done, and they've been rewarded for it. They've mm -hmm. kept their content safe for families, and because of that, they have huge sponsors. Everyone wants to do business with them. Everyone wants to be part mm -hmm. of their videos, and it made them, you know, very wealthy. Thank, you know, thankfully. Yeah, and they're uh, very generous. Yeah. 
So I, I go to church um, with one of the guys. Mm -hmm. And so got to know him through there. And, and what's funny is like, you know, I didn't, because my kids weren't quite at that age, I wasn't watching a lot of Dude Perfect videos. So I just knew him as like Garrett, you know. Yeah. Was my, hey, my buddy Garrett from church, yeah. you know. And then I realized, oh, that's, you know. And so they were filming a video and uh, they were at uh, church one day and I was around and like, hey, we need some extras. Would you like just be in the background? I'm like, sure, that <laughs> sounds good. So that is my claim to fame. And what's crazy is you texted me, mm -hmm. but I had like family in like Seattle. I had people from all over that like did I just see you in a dude perfect video <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I think that's what it clicked of like how big you, you know oh yeah. yeah I guess so yeah. um, so that's that's my claim to fame and I, I'll still go there and play pickleball um, that's now my pickleball court oh really yeah oh yeah. very cool so we'll go keep fit and play pickleball uh, see, like, <laughs> and it's like isn't there a lesson to be learned here to, for, to the media overall yes. which is if you protect that, like Disney used to, right? If you protect that safe image, I know that when you know we were on vacation and my kids wanted to watch uh, some YouTube, of course, as they always want right. to do, and I, I walk in there watching some video, and I'm like, no, just Dude Perfect, and they know. <laughs> All I can do is watch Dude Perfect on YouTube. That's what YouTube is to them. It's Dude Perfect because it's the only thing I know they can watch, and I will feel okay about. Yeah. Why don't big media companies understand this? And and that's what I don't. You know, I think if, having been in the political world and political journal, journalism world a lot, like you would think the simple ROI, the simple cost-benefit analysis would suggest basic business says it's actually more productive, it's more profitable to be something like a Dude Perfect. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think people get so, I, I, I'm, I know I'm late to the game, but I'm finally uh, listening to Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. Sure, right? yeah. And so you, 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 you get people who get so steeped in their ideology that maybe they adopt. I just listened to the part where he says, you know, the, the people who say at 20 years old, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life and never take stock throughout their life. And they get to 60 and they're like, why did I do that? You know, and so I think you mm. you get people who adopt an ideology, adopt a viewpoint so early on, and they feel pot committed. You know, to use a yeah, poker term, sure. that they have to go all in on that, and and they never kind of reassess. and And I think that's where you see a lot of where we've become today. Yeah, I think you're describing a major problem, not just uh, with major media companies, but. Uh, the growth of social media and our political interactions. I mean, I think you look at social media, and I, I, I try to stay off it as much as possible. When, but when you're there, it's somewhat part of this gig, unfortunately. Yeah. You, you get this vision of the world that is just nonstop chaos and stress and hatred and disagreement and everybody at each other's throats. And then you get in front of someone that you know that's been your friend for a long time and they've been posting all these crazy left-wing yeah. things or crazy right-wing things, whatever side you're on. And we have a great conversation with them and it's really nice. And it's like, I, I, don't, I don't think people are able to, to bring those things. How do you square that circle? How do you understand the world when both of those things are real? Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's interesting and, um, you know, funny, one of the things I talk about in my book about when you're talking to someone with anxiety, right? I think mm -hmm. um, we've we've become a world, especially in the Christian circles that I run in, where, where you kind of just like throw out a, a phrase, you know, oh, well, just don't worry about that, right? Yeah. And what I have found is that in, in talking to people with anxiety, you have to establish a relationship. And what happens there is that naturally leads to better, deeper, more understanding conversations. And I think 
we've gotten away from, you know, I know it was kind of a funny term that we talked about during the Obama years, but like there is truth to the beer summit, right? Like yeah, right, that right. beer summit mentality of like, I'm, we're going to sit down and have a couple of beers. And like in that context, you know, I, I may say things that maybe I don't like I think about more and uh, maybe I don't think that. But with cancel culture now, it's like you you have to there's no room for grace there's no room to develop an opinion and so even kind of going back to the idea of well you know this is what i believe and i'm going to stick to it no matter what it's like we haven't given people the grace to kind of um, change their minds, to to grow, to mature. We we just want to yell at each other. Whereas uh, if we kind of get back to that beer summit mentality yeah. of like, hey, I, I'm going to throw some out ideas out there and, and and see what you think, right? Oh, you know what? You make a good point. Maybe I need to back off that a little bit, you know? And and that's the kind of culture I think we need to get back to. It's interesting because I think you know uh, certainly in the in the on the political side of it. But I think also in the, in the faith side of it as well, there's been this turn uh, to a more aggressive tact just to kind of to, to say that, like, you're you're failing or you're not tough enough or you're you don't you're not a, a good enough believer if you're not, you know, hardcore laying down the law. And of course, there's a time for that. But it, it strikes me often I come back to the word persuasion. Right. Like what? What's successful? I mean, yelling at people makes you feel good, maybe. Maybe it makes you, your, the rest of your tribe that already agrees with you feel good. But, like, does it persuade anyone who might be on the fence? And politics, that's somewhat important. But with faith, it's, it's crucial. It's eternally important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it kind of goes even back to what we were talking about even on the Jordan Peterson side of things. We, we, we put our stake in the ground so early on on, th- uh, on, um, on ideas, on principles, on concepts and we get 20 years down the road and we realize like our tent sucks. You know what I mean? Like I was th- this whole time I put these stakes in the ground and my yeah. tent is awful. Yeah. Right. And yet like you, you have to give yourself room and give others room to be like, you know what? Maybe I put a stake in the ground there and, and that's not where I need to be. Right. Um, and so I, I just think this this idea of of grace, this idea of maturing, you know, there's that old quote. And I think it's so uh, funny, but true. It's like if you're uh, uh, I can't remember who said it, if it was Reagan or someone else. But if it was like if you're young and not a liberal, <laughs> you have no heart. If right. you're old and not a conservative, you have no mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what is what is kind of insinuated there is like as you it, it, it's insinuated that you're learning and you're growing and you're developing. Right. And. Um, You know, going back to even how we started this conversation, I fear for my kids who um, aren't going to be given some of that same leeway to grow and develop because Mm. culture wants to pin them down on something. I mean, even if you go to it's like, you know, how many parents and how many stories have we seen? It's like the the boy puts on one dress you know at at like the age of two <laughs> right. and they're like oh you're telling me you're a woman for the rest of your life it's like, yeah no come on. <laughs> that's not what this is um so, so t- take me back to the book for a second here because you know you wrote a book about anxiety how to deal with anxiety how to treat people with anxiety and a lot of this came out of your personal experience yeah and so i, I think i Looking back on it now, I can see that I had this anxiety and OCD for most of my life, mm. um, but I it was undiagnosed. And so even at my, my time at The Blaze, you know, one of the reasons I left was I, I, I got burned out, right, yeah, with, the, yeah. with the 24-7 cycle. And I can see now how my anxiety and OCD really contributed heavily to that, mm. right? Um, and so I, it, was, it was a lonely... It, 
the, my diagnosis was actually one of the most freeing times of my life. Mm. Like to sit across from a psychiatrist and him to say, hey, Mr. Seidel, like you have what's called GAD, generalized anxiety disorder with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. And it was like a light bulb went off, you know? And, and I, I, I haven't had cancer, but I, I think it's probably akin to someone who's maybe had a pain in their cheek for a really long time. And, and they, they're trying to treat it and they don't know what's going on. And then they finally go to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, you have a tumor, right? Oh, on one hand, that's really bad news. Yeah, right. that's really bad news. But on the other hand, it's really great news because now you can get a treatment plan. Right. Now you know what you're fighting against. Now, like all these things become clear and maybe pains that you had in the past. You're like, oh, now that I can make sense of that. Right. Yeah. And so that's that's what it was for me. And, and it kind of started a journey of like really understanding what this was and then how so many other people and especially in light of covid. Um, mm. have developed anxiety disorders. And I think the conversation we're starting to have is a good one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I've seen so many people, you know, close to me that have gone through this and, and went through their whole life without being ever diagnosed. And I think there's a there's sort of that, like, especially on the conservative side of things, like you have that thing of like, well, I don't, it feels like weakness or like yeah. an excuse for some of your behavior when, you know, look, if you can deal with this and make your life better, by these approaches, uh, why would you avoid it? You know, it's. I'm so glad you said that because it's in the conservative circles. It's a, it's in. It's been in the Christian circles for a long time, and so what I tell people is, listen, if if, if you you know broke your finger you would not think twice about going to the doctor. If you have a cold, you know, that's developed into pneumonia, you wouldn't think twice about going and getting an antibiotic. But we, we go to the doctor for a broken bone, but we don't go to the doctor for a broken brain. Mm. And yet medically, it's like there are synapses in my brain that don't fire. There are serotonin levels that are different. And so it's it's just as important to go to the doctor for my anxiety and OCD, and, and I, I take medication, mm-hmm. um, than it is to go if my arm is out of socket and broken. Sure. You know, and so we have to, start treating it the same way. Mm. Well, this is a great book for anybody who is, you know, who has a family member in this situation or maybe suspects that uh, they might themselves be in this situation. Mm -hmm. It's called Finding Rest, A Survivor's Guide to Navigating the Valleys of Anxiety, Faith, and Life. It's by John Seidel. John, thanks so much for coming on the program. Great to see you. Thanks, Stu. So awesome to be here. You know, uh, buying or selling a home is one of those things that might give you a little bit of anxiety. And uh, unfortunately, there's no pill for that. Uh, they should come up with one. But there is realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a company that uh, Glenn started years and years ago uh, to try to help people get find the best real estate agent uh, in their area. And we know, especially over the past couple of years, the market's been crazy. It's, you know, it's hard to know what you're supposed to pay for a price. Every, the price seems to go up every day by like 10%. What do you do? Well, realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the real estate agent that knows the market, that knows these things, gone through a million of these transactions already. It's a great way of doing it. Make sure you find a real estate agent that you can trust and do it at realestateagentsitrust.com. It'll get to take your info and walk you through the whole thing. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. So you started the show talking about Samuel Alito. Uh, well, remember, Brett Kavanaugh was almost killed before all of this happened. And the guy who wanted to kill him apparently wanted to go for three Supreme Court justices uh, to take out three of them potentially 
to uh, stop the Supreme Court from doing what it wound up doing, which was recognizing constitutional law. Uh, this is the conversation, part of it. I'm going to try to stop Roe versus Wade from being overturned, the suspect wrote. The associate responded, what you trying to do? T-R-Y-N-A. And just think about that. Your country almost had its entire uh, future altered by someone in a conversation who used the word trina. Uh, Remove some people from the Supreme Court was the response. I could get at least one, which would change the votes to for decades to come. And I am shooting for three. Uh, Also posted on Reddit. uh, How do we uh, would would Kavanaugh being removed from the Supreme Court help women long term? Another question he posted. How difficult is it to covertly take out a high value target? (laughs) Guy was really subtle and almost succeeded somehow. Uh, Amazing. We'll get more details on that as it comes up. Also, the Biden administration uh, hates immigrants and people who look differently than them. Why do I know that? Well, they're now filling the (laughs) the gaps in the border wall. Which is weird. I guess they found out that the place where there's no wall is where everyone's coming across the border, and that's creating a problem. So they're now spending money to build the wall, which makes completely perfect sense. The three-week rule may be the best financial advice ever. What is the three-week rule? Well, just wait three weeks to refi your home, mortgage, maybe uh, to finance any major purchase. Why? Because three weeks is how fast the average ScoreMaster user takes to boost his or her credit score by an average of 61 points. And listen, your 61 points are going to save you thousands of dollars if you're buying a house. Uh, Who knows? Tens of thousands of dollars, maybe. ScoreMaster technology was developed by credit data scientists to boost your credit score higher and faster than you thought possible. ScoreMaster is so easy. It only takes about a minute to get started and you don't have to wait for months to find your best credit score. How many points can you add to your credit score? Well, visit scoremaster.com slash do right now. Get the seven day trial that uh, they have available now for listeners of this particular program. Scoremaster.com slash stew. Again, it's scoremaster.com slash stew. You know, one of the things we like to highlight here on the program is the bravery of celebrities. These people are among the bravest people in our culture. Forget the military members, police officers. Come on. I'm talking about celebrities. Okay, these are the real heroes. Okay, and we also like to highlight girl power when feminism rises to the top and allows women to overcome all the patriarchy, all the evil men that get in the way. We already talked about the uh, abortion case today where men, a man was in the way of women just simply wanting to end the lives of their children. That's all, of course, terribly wrong. Well, Sydney Sweeney is someone you might not know. She's 24. And she, I don't know why the headline says she's 24. Apparently, they want to make sure to tell you it's okay to look at her. Uh, but she's 24, and she's taking a strong feminist stance. She simply will not, no matter what you say, no matter how many times you demand it, men, she will not stop doing nude scenes. No! She will not do it! We understand you men don't want her to do these nude scenes, but here she is. And she will get naked for feminism every day, no matter what you and all the male directors and all the people who own uh, the, the, the company she works for and all the high powered executives that are also men. 
and profiting off of her being naked, she will not allow them to stop her from showing you her tatas. And that is the feminist stance of the day. Before we go, don't miss out your, on your chance to get some Blaze socks. Yes, blazesocks.com. They've got all the fancy designs. Yes, there's even a pair of socks with Glenn Beck's face on it. And that, if that doesn't make you... And by the way, uh, what's her face, Sweeney? She's not gonna... She will not do nude scenes unless she's wearing Blaze socks. Blazesocks.com. Promo code is Stu for 20% off. We'll see you Monday. <laughs>